Hello, everybody. Welcome once again uh, to the Vineyard Community Church. As we continue on in our study of the New Testament, I want to do a quick sort of uh, sub-teaching today. Um, we're in the book of Colossians, and, uh, and yet we're also in the middle of um, the major week of Christendom leading up to the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, coming up this Sunday. And uh, so you may be watching this a little later, but that's where we're headed. And I, I thought we would take some time. We've been spending the weekends talking about church history, really, um, um, and, and using the sort of liturgical church calendar to help us in our devotional lives. Um, but there's also a, a calendar that goes beyond that one for us historically that we're tied into as well, and that's the Jewish liturgical calendar. Uh, and um, that calendar helps us in um, placing date-wise um, some of the movable feasts that we celebrate. And when I say movable, like Easter. Easter moves every year. You've noticed that, right? Because um, it's not a fixed date for us, but it's according and it's set to astronomical uh, occurrences. It has to do with the moons and new moons and when they, when they show up historically and when they're supposed to and, and, uh, and then it's fixed on that. Now, it, we've... Um, we use our calendar for that and, and uh, the actual, the Orthodox uh, branch of Christianity celebrates Easter often later than us and uh, because they use a Julian calendar and we use the Gregorian calendar or the other way around, I don't remember, to place the dates with the equinox and so like in the Orthodox Church, they celebrate Easter this year, May 5th. Um, but ours is up early, March 30th, uh, 31st and um, um, we are sort of tied in Fortunately, in most years, we do sort of ring in line with Passover, which is how this all started. And, and uh, what, we're, what we're celebrating, in effect, is Jesus' fulfillment of the feasts of Israel. And um, over time, um, the church has begun to call it Easter. Um, it was, uh, it's called Pasch or Pasha or, or Pesach, depending on which, which word you're grabbing from historically. But all of this kicked into to play in um, Jesus' fulfillment of the Feast of Israel. And there were seven major feasts that the children of Israel were called to celebrate every year. And I want to run through them quickly today and tell you how Jesus has already fulfilled four of the seven and three we're waiting on. And, and so it, it's very neat to know that as we celebrate, again, what we, we call Easter, and the, the word derivation there, um, a lot of, uh, sometimes people struggle with, with the, the idea of the wording for Easter um, because uh, it's speculated by some that the early church um, tied in the, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus into a sort of pagan festival that celebrated a fertility god and... and uh, um, I've, I've done a lot of that research. It may or may not have been the case. Um, sometimes, you know, the church, in, in an effort to reach out to people, would, would tap into stuff that they were doing and then introduce Jesus into it. Um, some people struggle with that whole idea. Um, I don't know. I, I have a mission of one more. Any way we can get people in um, and tell them the truth about Jesus is good for me. So, you know, the, I get it. But, um, but you can't actually trace the word back. Um, through uh, Middle English and, and uh, the Germanic languages um, to um, something that's very close to the, the word that we take Easter from or the, the Pesach from, and it evolves that way. So it could be just a, a very um, a normal language evolution of the word that brings us to Easter, but whatever. Uh, ultimately, what we're celebrating 
is Jesus' fulfillment of the feast, particularly we celebrate as the church the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the main event. That's what it's all about. So Easter, uh, Pesach, Pasha, arose by any other name. Um, Let's celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That's the message we have. That's where the power is. And that's what we're talking about in general. So whatever word I'm using, you get where I'm coming from. And so I wanted to talk about that today. Because uh, Jesus fulfills prophetically um, feasts that the children of Israel had been celebrating for a long time. And I think it's so cool that God had prepared the people of Israel through these feasts that, that the hope was that when Messiah came, they would recognize him because they'd been celebrating him in these feasts for a long, long time. And, and, uh, and so when Jesus shows up and fulfills a feast, some of them get it. Most of them don't. Again, the reason they don't is they don't want to. Um, you know, the people of Israel had every opportunity to recognize the Messiah by the signs he did, by the wonders he did, and then prophetically fulfilling feasts that they'd been um, doing forever. But, but they chose not to, mostly because they were rejecting the package um, more than anything else, and, and they didn't want to um, change. Um, and does that sound like anybody else? Anybody here ever think they might have rejected Jesus for a while because they didn't want to change? I bet. Um, I remember the first time somebody presented the gospel to me. It's all sounded good, and I got it. And yet my, my reasoning for saying no at the end of a really amazing presentation when I was 19 of the gospel, at a time when I was very open because of other events, I, I said no because I couldn't figure out how they had any fun. And I said no. And then went out six years and... and, uh, and never mind. So anyway, <laughs> the, uh, I figured it out now. And that's the best thing. All right. So, um, as you know, Jesus is coming into um, this, this final week. And it's, it's time for the Passover to be, uh, to be celebrated. And it, the Passover is one of the seven feasts that the people of Israel were, were commanded to celebrate every year. The seven feasts were Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. Those are all written down in your thing. So I went quick, but they're all in there, all right? So it started with Passover. Leviticus 23.5 says, The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. And so we, we know when Passover is supposed to begin. And um, Jesus was coming in, and, and he was getting set up to celebrate the Passover, if you remember that. Now, what was the Passover all about? Exodus 12.5 through 7. Um, the, the people of Israel were in the midst of um, trying to get Pharaoh's heart to soften and let them go. And God was running through a series of plagues to make that happen. If you remember, and, and these plagues were bad plagues, and, um, and Pharaoh would say, okay, fine, you can go, and then he would change his mind, harden his heart. No, you can't go as soon as the plague was lifted. The last one is the death of the firstborn. Um, a major, major deal was going to happen. And um, the, the firstborn in the land were, um, were going to die. The, the children of Israel, however, were instructed, and I'll read you the verse in a minute, to take a lamb without blemish or defect, and they would take it into their homes. Actually, they had to take it in their homes and sort of befriend this lamb for a little while um, because it wasn't going to be easy to sacrifice, and it couldn't be some old beat-up lamb uh, that they didn't care about, that nobody cared about. Uh, at the end of it, it had to be a perfect lamb, and they would sacrifice this lamb, and they would take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost of their houses as instructed by God, and when the angel of death came, he would pass over the houses where there was blood 
on the doorpost. And that's where Passover comes from. That's the idea. Exodus 12, 5 through 7. The animals you choose must be year old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Now, prophetic connections. Matthew 26, 27 and 28. Jesus took the cup giving thanks and offering it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. John, chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the prophetic fulfillment of Passover. He is the Passover Lamb, the perfect sacrifice And the shedding of his blood covering you, once you're covered in the blood of Jesus, you are spared now from death. You you go right on into life forever. And and, and so it's prophetically um, had been going on for a long time with the children of Israel, this this perfect lamb that they sacrificed and the the door frames and the blood and they had the story of the deliverance uh, from bondage because of it and how they were protected from the angel of death in the process. And this had been going on historically for a long, long time. And this is what Jesus was doing at the night when he celebrates communion um, with his disciples. The Passover uh, celebration is going on. Jesus perfectly fulfills the Passover um, in, in what he does with his life. Tied in with the Passover is another feast that happens the next day, and it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Leviticus 23, 6. On the 15th day of the month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days, you must eat bread made without yeast. So, okay, so we have the blood of the lamb. You've heard that before. Now we have some bread. That's fascinating. Um, You ever seen Jesus in connection with bread? before? I bet you have. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus introduced himself as the bread of life. I am the bread of the life. I am the bread of life. Jesus is also the fulfillment of the unleavened bread. And in effect, during the Passover celebration, it was celebrated and the time for the bread came around. And we've done this before, so I, I didn't think I would do it tonight. But uh, um, if, you, if you grab, we always have our stuff in a matzah tosh. There's one over there. Hey, will you, um, who's over there? Just on that table, on the communion table, grab me the matzah tosh and bring it to me. It's that white linen that's sitting there. Thank you. Um, so I wasn't going to do the whole thing, but now I feel like talking about it. Because I'm in it. Okay, so they would have had this at the time too, and they, they still celebrate. This is called a matzah tosh, and what's interesting about it, we put matzah in there, that's where that comes from, and tosh, I guess, is just this thing. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's got three spots in it. It's, it's, it's placed for three pieces of matzah. And, and uh, this goes back for a long, long time. And what would happen is during the Passover celebration, and especially where Jesus breaks in with communion and, and the unleavened bread thing was going on, he, they, this matzah would be in here, the unleavened bread in three pieces. And the one in the middle would come out. That's the one that Jesus takes and breaks during communion. And what's fascinating is with that piece uh, that comes out, when they would break it in half, they'd take half of it 
check this out, and they would give that away and the people would, would eat that bread. The other half was wrapped in a, in a white linen and it was hidden. It's called the afikomen. Um, and they'd send all the kids out of the room and then they'd hide this piece of bread wrapped in white linen, linen, they would hide it in the room and the kids would come back in and they'd have to hunt for it and find it. Whoever found the piece of bread wrapped in white linen got a prize um, for finding it. Now, who do you know who knows who's known as bread that was wrapped in white linen and if you find him, you get a prize? Anyone? Who do you know in threes that's in the middle? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This stuff had been going on for generations, guys. Jesus is fulfilling it prophetically, perfectly. Along with that then, so we have the Passover right when it should happen prophetically. We have Jesus um, going to the cross, his body being broken, his blood being sacrificed right when it prophetically should happen. And then we know that he's put into the ground and nobody knows what's going on. But then we know on Sunday when they go to look for him, he's not there. That's what we're going to be talking about this weekend. The tomb is empty. Okay. Well, there's another festival that happens on that morning, on that Sunday morning. It's called First Fruits. It's been happening forever and ever. Leviticus 23, 10 and 11. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He's to wave the sheaf before the Lord, so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath, Sunday morning. So this little tiny first fruit offering. Remember the, the people of Israel um, were, were farmers for the most part, agricultural people, so a lot of the offerings have to do with agriculture. And at this time of the year, early in the year, like it is right now, there was a, there was a small little offering of a crop. There was a small first fruit crop that would pop up that they needed to offer to the Lord. Now listen to this in 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and 24 to see how Jesus fulfills it. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the firstfruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So all this happens in the way that it's supposed to happen. Christ, the firstfruits. Christ is the, the first fruit offering of defeating death and the resurrection. But you know what? He even waves a little offering with him. And, and maybe you've never checked this out before, but in Matthew 27, you ever thought about this? Verses 51 through 53. At the moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, the earth shook and the rock split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many people. There's your first little tiny offering of the resurrection. People pop out of the tombs with Jesus getting ready and he's, that's the wave offering. That's the first one. That's the beginning of the harvest. It starts right there. So Passover has been fulfilled by Jesus and then um, unleavened bread fulfilled perfectly and the first fruits all happening at the exact time in the exact way and a picture of what they've been celebrating forever is happening before their eyes but they can't quite see it yet. Three out of seven. We're not done. The next one and we'll be doing this one seven weeks from Sunday is called Pentecost which means 50 days. 50 days from what happens. Leviticus 23, 15, and 16. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So after 50 days, guess what? Another harvest would take place. 
uh, 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 and this one, not as big as the great big harvest at the end of the summer, but a significant harvest, and they were to come, and they were to celebrate this harvest again. So, how does that tie in with us? We know what happens at Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit comes, and he comes in power, and then Peter preaches this amazing message, and Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. There's another big offering that takes place. Not as big as the biggest offering, bigger than the one that happened the first, but you get a second offering in fulfillment prophetically of the, of the Feast of Israel. Pentecost comes, and this offering comes to the Lord in the, in the church being birthed as Peter preaches under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost has now been perfectly fulfilled exactly when it was supposed to happen, exactly in line with the other feasts. Four have been fulfilled prophetically. Three are left. They haven't been fulfilled yet. But see, don't you think? I like that it's four have already been done. So don't you think? See, once you know four are done, you're pretty confident the other three are going to happen. I am. You know, if maybe one was done and we were waiting on six. Well, I don't know. Maybe that was a coincidence. Two, I'm not sure. We got better than half already in the bag. We got three left. The next one that comes is trumpets. Trumpets. And, and trumpets signifies the end of the harvest, the main harvest. When the big harvest is over at the end of the summer, there's a trumpet sound. talks about it in Scripture, and, and it even says, you know, some will, some will hear it and they'll stop. Because at the end of the harvest, when trumpets sounded, everybody's just supposed to go and worship. And finished or not, wherever they were, those who loved God would stop what they were doing, and they would go and worship. And this big trumpet blast. Guess who's coming back at trumpet blast that we know about Scripture? Jesus is coming back at the sound of a trumpet. And, and those in Christ will go and meet him. Ba-boop! There he is. The harvest is over. We're done. And it's time to worship. That's what happens. We're in a harvest time right now. We're in the summer season, the longest harvest. And what are we supposed to be doing? Our mission is to go out and go out and tell people about Jesus so that they can be ready for when the harvest comes. So at the end of it, they're in and not out. So we're harvesters. Jesus said, there's not enough harvesters. We need people out there harvesting. Because there's this huge field that we need to go and get. And so we're in this summer season and we're waiting for it to be fulfilled prophetically. It's been a long time now, a couple thousand years. That's the mercy of God who's given people a chance, but we're still in that season prophetically. We're waiting for trumpets. I'm waiting to hear trumpet sound. Then we go. We're done at that point. That happens. Then you know what comes next? Is this thing called atonement. Atonement um, is a big judgment day um, and still celebrated today. Um, it's one of the biggest ones for the, the uh, Jewish people. If they feel like if they miss that one, they're cut off. Um, and so you, you see it's very much celebrated um, by uh, people today. Um, judgment will take place. Now, depending on where you fit in all of this, um, prophetically, at trumpet sound, some believe the church is out, and because of Jesus covering our sins, we get to skip the judgment, we, because if sin is forgiven, there's nothing to be judged. What we're going to go through, apparently, is um, we have to kind of deal with what we did with this amazing life that God give us, gives us, but, you know, I, and then apparently there's crowns handed out, which we give right back to Jesus, um, because we're like, no, yeah, right, here you go, and uh, <laughs> come on, <laughs> and uh, and, you know, so, so there's a lot that goes on there, but it's, it's a time of judgment that we know prophetically has to happen. We're still waiting on that. And then that last of the seven is called tabernacles. Tabernacles. Now, if, if I remember rightly, when Jesus did communion with us at the 
last time there. Remember, I, I've told you this before. He stops from the normal way the Passover is celebrated with that third cup that we do all the time. And in effect, he proposed. Uh, he, he, the whole ceremony changes there. Uh, and, and that's where the illustration begins uh, of the bride and the bridegroom. And, and there's, a, there's a picture of a, when a Jewish man wanted to marry a Jewish woman, um, uh, he, would, um, he would go to the parents of the woman, if it hadn't been already arranged, but if he you know, saw a woman that struck his fancy, and he said, that's okay, I want to marry her. And he would go to the, to the home, and uh, he would ask for the parents' permission, and the parents would check him out, and you know, if, they had a, if he felt he would be a suitable husband, um, he would pass the parents' test, then it was up to the daughter. And the, the potential groom would take a glass of his own and his own flask of wine and he would pour that glass uh, and he would put some wine in that glass and he would set it there on the table and they would call the daughter in. She'd know what was going on. And they would say, you know, this guy wants to marry you. What do you think? And, and uh, she, had a, she had a choice. Um, and the way that she signified that she would indeed um, be married to him is she would pick up that glass of his wine and she would drink from it. And that said, the deal is sealed. Yes, I say yes. Who, who gave people a glass of wine to drink? and said, drink this in remembrance of me, sealed the deal. And then what did he say? Because this is what's so cool. He said, okay, I got to go and prepare a place for you. You can't go with me now, but I'll prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back and get you. Do you remember who said that to us? So that when, when this happened, if the girl said yes, then the young man would go, and he would go to his father's house, which is how it worked back then. They all worked and lived in big community, and he would, he would prepare a place for him and his future bride. He would usually add on to the home that existed and he would build his own home, which took some time. And it was the father of the groom who got to tell him when the house was ready. He couldn't just come back and throw down a sleeping bag and go grab his bride, because that's what most guys would do. We're ready, honey, let's go. We'll build later. No. The father would say, no, you gotta make it right, you gotta make it nice, and uh, you're gonna take your time and you're gonna do it right. And at the time it was ready, then he would say, okay, you can go and get your bride. Guess who's the only person who knows when Jesus is coming back for us? The Bible says, the Father. Only the Father knows. The Son doesn't know. Only the Father knows. And he's going to send him back for us. After the place is ready, that's when tabernacles happen. So all this stuff has this significant historic tie that we celebrate. And, and um, you know, we've been talking through the weeks about, you know, our church history, which is extremely important, but uh, it keeps on going back from there. We have this huge history all the way back through that um, means something. And, and so when we celebrate, uh, just know there's so much going on. There's so much richness. There's so much um, uh, proof behind um, what we do. It took faith to get to Jesus, but then the reality of who he is is just in everything. This weekend, we're going to be talking about the empty tomb. One of the biggest proofs there's ever been. No one's been able to disprove the tomb not being empty. Everybody, other religious leader, their tombs got dust in them from the people left there, but not Jesus. Three days, he was beat it on our behalf. And uh, it's the coolest thing going. So anyway, as we celebrate this week, um, now you have even more history about what's going on. And where we're at. And so we're in effect celebrating the Passover once again. Our Passover lamb who went to the cross on our behalf, who shed his blood for us. The unleavened bread whose body was broken, the bread was broken for us, 
who defeated death and rose again in a first fruit offering at the tombs of many breaking open and, and coming out with him. We know that at that point then, we got seven weeks, full weeks, and then it's the Pentecost and the, the, the arrival of the Holy Spirit and the church kicking off and another harvest, and now we're busy in the harvest season waiting for a trumpet. That's what we wait on next. He's done the first four. Five's coming. Get ready. And in the meantime, let's do what we're called to do. And let's celebrate Jesus. Amen? Amen. If you're watching on television or by video, thank you so much for spending this time with us. We know how valuable your time is and we appreciate it very, very much. If you need prayer, go to our website at keysvineyard.com. Go to the contact or prayer page and let us know. We'll be praying for you. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.